I'm excited to share this morning, I'm calling it Running Where Jesus Walked. I actually got this phraseology from my dad, but we're calling it this because I want to tell you about our Israel trip. We really had such a great time, and we did, we ran where Jesus walked. We were going so fast, <laughs> so there was a lot that we, we covered, but um, I want to talk about a couple of things that we did. Well, one of the most exciting things that we got to do, this was the first day we, were, uh, we had a group of us baptized in the Jordan River. Pastor Paul and I were doing the baptisms. You can come on up front, Pastor Paul. This was so much fun. One of the highlights for so many people. And so if you were one of those people who were baptized at the Jordan River, can you stand to your feet and actually even come up front? We've got your baptism certificates. We want to give it to you. Can you give it up for those who were baptized? <laughs> Making a public declaration of their faith saying, hey, I belong to Jesus. Jesus made a difference in my life. Being baptized in the Jordan River, the same river that Jesus himself was actually baptized in. What an opportunity. And I know for, for many people, there was 15 people from our group that were baptized out of the 26 of us that went. I think that may be everyone for the first service. Um, and uh, so 15 people were baptized. I know for some of us, it, it was, for some people, it was a recommitment. For others, it was the very first time being baptized where Jesus himself was baptized. That's, that's really, really special, uh, making that public identification with Jesus. So I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. I have a lot. I'm going to share a lot of things, but I don't want it just to be about content. You know, I hope you get a taste of what it was like being on the trip. That's part of the idea. You kind of feel a little bit like you were there with us. But more than that, I want to share some takeaways that, that I feel that we gained from experiencing this. I want to share takeaways that I believe, whether you were able to go on the trip or not, these are takeaways that you can walk away home with. I think God wants to do something in your life today through the sermon. And so um, we did put together a quick recap video, just, a, just some fun about some of the things we experienced, hearing some people in our church. And so you guys can roll that video. We're at the uh, Mount uh, Beatitudes. Oh yeah, we. It's unbelievable just being able to worship here. I mean, being up here, like looking over the Sea of Galilee, it makes it very real. Right now we're at Capernaum, and uh, this is where Jesus actually touched me in dreams, and. I prayed here, everybody that comes in here prays here, this is one holy site, and this whole, this whole little vacation is amazing, I'm learning so much, and I thank the church for running this. We're in Galilee, yeah. and it is amazing, this is the best experience of my life. And a guy like me who can't stop talking, well, I'm speechless, I'm so humble, Got to open my throat. Just amazing. No words can describe it. The Sea of Galilee is right here. And uh, Luke 5 and Luke 21 happened somewhere close here. And Luke 5 was actually my first sermon that I preached on a Sunday morning. So it's pretty special. Pretty cool to be here. Take some pictures. Uh, we're in Jerusalem right now in the city of David. And we are standing by the house, the Hasmonean Tower, uh, which was uh, one of King David. It was his King David's um, palace. And it has been an unbelievable, unbelievable time. Um, just knowing, just knowing that this is where one of the greatest kings lived. And uh, knowing that this was a king who was after the heart of God. 
We're at the tomb of where Jesus was crucified and laid and was resurrected to give us the life that we didn't deserve. He died, he took our death. He died on that cross. He was laid, he was resurrected to give us the life as we believe in him. This is an amazing place and all should come here to see it. You actually see the Bible come to life to see where all these things happen. It's very emotional and it's wonderful. And everyone should do it. threw that in there at the end. We sang, How Great Is Our God on the Sea of Galilee. It was a really wonderful time. At the end of the service today, I want to sing that together as a church family. And you saw, yeah, just what, a, what an amazing time it was. It was so much fun. And uh, so really, I want to share, like I said, some things that we experienced, but I also want to give you some takeaways. And um, so as we're going through, if you're writing notes down, I had to have some overarching points over this whole thing. You know, running where Jesus walked. It's an amazing experience to go run where Jesus walked. And I'm saying, what it does, it supercharges your faith. You're so filled with faith when you see where these things took place in the Bible. And uh, the verse that kept coming to mind for me is in Acts chapter 2. Peter is one of the 12 disciples, Jesus' best friend, if you will. Jesus was arrested and all the disciples abandoned him. Then he dies. He's resurrected. The disciples see him. They're completely changed. And now Peter is preaching in front of thousands of people about who Jesus is. And he says in Acts chapter 2, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of these things. And that's the, the, the scripture that's com- coming to mind for me. We're witnesses of these things. If you were able to go to the Holy Land and see where this happened, you're witnesses of these things in, in a pretty special way. And I think of what he says later to, to the council in Acts 4, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Isn't that true? When you've experienced the life change that comes from Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit has made you a new person, you can't stop speaking and telling and talking about what you have seen and heard. And so that's how it feels when we've uh, gone to Israel. Some people call it the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all about the life of Jesus. Some people even call Israel the fifth gospel, a nickname for it, because of how much it testifies to Jesus. And so first, when uh, I said it supercharges your faith, let me give you kind of three, three reasons why. I like the points. That's, I, I like to have points, or, or we're going to be all over the place. So uh, I'm going to talk about some of the places we went, and then I'm going to talk about kind of what it means for us, too. And so it supercharges your faith because in some way your faith becomes tangible as a result of going to the Holy Land. Now, we know what Scripture says, that uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see, right? And so faith, it's a trust in God. And so in that sense, faith isn't physical. But when you visit the Holy Land, in a sense, there's something tangible and physical about your faith, about your trust in God. It increases, it's supercharged because you see these physical places where God actually moved and where Jesus actually walked. 
So one great example is at the Sea of Galilee, and I put this map up. I have a lot of uh, slides today, so hopefully, you know, we don't have any issues there. I got a lot of pictures and stuff to show you. And so this is actually, I put, I plotted on the map, this is everything we did the first day. This is what we did the first day at the Sea of Galilee. So you can imagine how much we experienced, and that's why I'm saying we really ran where Jesus walked. It was a lot of stuff that we did. And uh, so you see... Uh, your faith becomes tangible. One of the places that we went to, it's called uh, the primacy of Peter, and Pastor Paul referenced it in that video. It's where we remember where they believe it took place, where Jesus first called his disciples in Luke chapter 5, as well as where Jesus restored his disciples in John chapter 21. That's a, a, a story that's meant a lot to me. And so your faith becomes tangible, as Pastor Paul shared, his very first Sunday sermon, which was with, here at Freehold in August, He shared, he preached on Luke chapter 5. It was all about, are you willing to let God in? Are you willing to let God in? Just like Peter did, he let Jesus into his boat and ultimately let Jesus into his life. And Jesus transformed who Peter was. And that was Pastor Paul's very first sermon. And then there's Pastor Paul standing at the place where Jesus actually called Peter. I mean, come on. That is awesome. That supercharges your faith, man. Your faith becomes tangible. It's so cool to see that happen and uh, to be where these events took place. I have another couple examples of how your faith becomes tangible. Another place that we visited on the Sea of Galilee. This is called Capernaum, the city. And it's really all over your Bible um, because this is where Jesus made his ministry headquarters for his three-year ministry. So many of Jesus' miracles took place and his, his stories and his teachings took place here. It was at this very synagogue that Jesus cast out a demon from a man. It was at this synagogue that Jesus taught. It was here that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and everyone who came to him sick that night. It was at this place where he healed Jairus' daughter. Jesus did many miracles in Capernaum. And what's really cool about coming to this place is that when you go to Israel, there's... Um, different degrees of certainty to the sites that you go to. Like the first one I just shared, Primacy of Peter. You know, we remember this. We think it, it could have happened here, right? Other things, they, they represent it pretty well. We don't really know that it happened, but it, it could have happened around here. Other places like Capernaum, we are sure that this is exactly where Jesus was. This synagogue, the foundation of the synagogue dates to the time of Christ. This is the town of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew even calls it the town of Jesus. And so to go here, to physically stand where Jesus did miracles, where Jesus taught about himself, where people's lives were changed, it's so amazing how your faith becomes tangible. But uh, more than that, as, as Al, somebody who, uh, uh, from our church who came and he shared in the video, he alluded to as well when he came, uh, he talked about an experience of God that he had when he came to Capernaum. And actually, it started before that. In preparation for this trip, we did the Wednesday night Bible study, and we did a Bible study all throughout different places, and we did the Bible study on Capernaum, and it was after that, Al told me later, you know, he's like, I, I had a dream, and, and God appeared to me, and, and, and he felt that God told him he had to go and pray at this synagogue. And I, I've actually, I didn't tell you this, Al, I've, I've heard this before about people visiting the Holy Land, that 
um, uh, you know, got something like that happened. And so for Al, he had this dream and he was hanging on to it like, I have to go there. And so for him to come and be at this physical place, it actually was a fulfillment of a dream that God gave him. Man, talk about your faith becoming tangible. Where Pastor Ball preached, where Al had a dream. It's so incredible how it supercharges your faith. And I've got one more example of how it becomes tangible. Uh, Guys, I'm not even talking about half of what we did today. With all the places I'm talking about, (laughs) there's so much. If you see somebody who went on the trip who's in church, ask them about it. There's so much that they could say. But this is another example of how your faith becomes tangible and it supercharges your faith. We went to the city of David. And so this is the oldest part of Jerusalem, the oldest part. And uh, for a period of time, it was lost to history. So they're continuing to discover things. And I shared this when I first came back from my first trip. This is King David's palace that they unearthed in 2005. This is the palace of King David. And it's so cool how your faith becomes tangible because it confirms the biblical depiction of David. When they discovered this uh, palace, they found technology that was not from Israel. It shouldn't have been here. It was from uh, Phoenicia. It was the same time as Israel. But they're like, why is this in the palace? It doesn't add up until you read the Bible. And then the Bible says that when David became king, the king of Phoenicia recognized that David was the king of Israel and sent him uh, workers and and supplies and materials and renovated King David's palace. And so your faith becomes tangible because you see it come to life. It becomes like physical in a way. So it's cool to go there and to see it. And then when you're standing there, you read the words of King David. And this is a picture standing in the palace looking out that you see the mountains. Those of you who were on the trip, Carmita, you know, right, the the mountains. You were talking about this in the video. The mountains that surround Jerusalem. And so David writes, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. Man, when you get to stand there and imagine David writing this, your faith becomes tangible. Your trust in God becomes tangible in a new sort of way. It's so cool. And in that same passage about when David became king and and the king uh, of Phoenicia sent him materials, it says this in 2 Samuel 5, 10, David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. And so it supercharges your faith. Your faith becomes tangible because you realize that the same God that worked in David's life, the same God that worked in this place, the same God that established himself in David's life also wants to establish himself in your life as well. It's so cool how it just fills you with faith about what God wants you to do, whether you're Uh, You've been a Christian for many years. Maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're watching online today, whoever you are. Just like God established himself in David's life thousands of years ago, we were standing at the place where David lived and heard from God. He wants to establish himself in your life as well. Will you let him? Will you let him do that work in your life? And so it supercharges your faith as your faith becomes tangible. And also you realize that you're part of something so much bigger than yourself. You're part of something so much bigger than yourself. These are uh, some pictures. It may be a little hard to see in the first one. These are pictures of olive trees. And these olive trees, they're both, there's an older tree with a newer, smaller, younger branch 
that's been grafted in. The, the branch is from a different tree that's been grafted into that tree. The first one you see is Garden of Gethsemane. It's right in the middle there. It's a little hard at the shadows, but that branch coming out, that's a branch from a different tree that has been added to that olive tree. And of course, in the upper room of the Last Supper, it's there kind of symbolically, really, because there's a passage in the Bible that talks about this. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 11. He says, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, a different tree. There's olive trees all over Israel. That's what, you, get, you get the little nativity set in olive wood or you get the olive, olive oil. They're, they're everywhere. And he says, Gentiles, anybody who's not Jewish, you were from a different tree. But you've been grafted in. And so now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. We've been grafted in. We've been included in something that we weren't supposed to. We were from a different tree. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of something bigger than yourself in in more ways than one. Of course, historically, in America, I think in this part of our country, we're a lot more in touch with our history because we're where a lot of it happened, the, the American Revolution and things like that. Our history goes back, you know, what, 375 years or so. But in Israel, you know, history goes back a lot further. And you realize that our faith, we're connected to a faith that's 2,000 years old, 2,000 years old to Jesus. And as Paul writes, we've been connected to the faith of Abraham. Abraham goes back 4,000 years. Man, I'm part of something so much bigger than just myself, than just Freehold, New Jersey. I'm part of a history of what God has been doing all over this world, all throughout history, and what a blessing it is to be included in God's plan of salvation. What a blessing it is that he's grafted us in. He's grafted us in. We're part of something bigger historically, but also part of something bigger globally as well, that our faith, it's not an American faith I just got a book because we're going to do, I'm doing a trip uh, with someone to a Native American reservation, and so the book is called White Man's Gospel because that's, that was kind of how they felt as, as uh, the white man came, right? But Christianity is not the white man's gospel. That's the whole idea. This is a faith that stretches thousands of years, and it's all over the world. Every single site that we went to, there were people from all over the world there. There were people that spoke English. There were people that spoke different languages, didn't speak English. There were people who uh, had robes on and they had, you know, they, they were, we did the Via de la Rosa. They were carrying crosses and people were, were dressed a certain way. Other people just had jeans and a t-shirt and a backpack. But you realize every single site we went to, all of these people, we were connected to them. We were connected to them because they came for the same reason we did, because Jesus had changed their life. It was amazing to realize that we're part of something so much bigger than just ourselves, than just our church, than just our plans. We've been grafted in to the family of God. And this was really cool when we were in the upper room. This is a picture of the upper room of the Last Supper. I believe it could have happened here. This room, it didn't look like this during the time of Jesus. It's about 1,000 years old. 
But when we went there, there were lots of different groups. And so our group comes in and there was an Asian group. I don't think they spoke English at all. But they were singing a hymn in the upper room. And when they were done, we sang a hymn. And then you could kind of tell we, we wanted to sing together a little bit. But we, we, it was tough because the language barrier. And plus, we had a schedule. And then our tour guide's like, actually, uh, we're not allowed to sing in here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> They're going to kick us out. And so, you know, but you realize when we were there, you felt that connection of, wait a minute, we're brothers and we're sisters. You're on some other side of the world and we're all connected. We're all part of God's special tree because of what Jesus has done for us. That's just incredible. It's just incredible when you see it. That's why it supercharges your faith your faith becomes tangible. You're part of something bigger. And you also realize that we're not the center. We're not the center of our faith. We're not the center. Jesus is. Jesus is the center. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is the center. Let's try it again because not everybody really did it. I know. This is kind of a youth group thing. That's okay. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. That's one of the takeaways that you experience when you go. Paul goes on in that passage in Romans 11. He says, don't brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch. You're not the root. You may say, well, those branches were broken off to make room for me. He says, yes, but don't, don't forget those branches, they didn't believe in Christ. And you're here because you believe in Christ. So don't think too highly of yourself. Fear what could happen. For if God didn't spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice that God is both kind and severe. He's severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. If you stop trusting, you'll also be cut off. And so you realize, wait a minute, hold on. I'm not the center. It's not all about me. It's not about these are the plans I have for my life, and then God's just going to okay everything I want to do. No, Jesus is the center. It's so easy to make our faith us-centric or America-centric. I mean, it's very easy. We read the Bible and we kind of think like it was written about America somehow, that everything we read about is, oh, and, well, in Washington, D.C. right now, that this happened. Like, I mean, tr- maybe, yeah, sometimes it definitely applies 100%, but it's, the Bible's not am- about America. The Bible's not about New Jersey. It's about Jesus, And how you can fit into the larger story of what God is doing all over this world. That's what it's about. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for peace, if you're wondering why you're on this this earth, the word of God will give you that answer. The word of God will point you and connect you to God himself. And you'll find that peace and that purpose in Christ. You know, we don't want to be puffed up because we're enlightened, oh, I'm a Christian, or I know Jesus, I know the truth, and so I'm better than other people. That's what Paul's talking about. Hey, 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 watch that attitude. You're not the center. Jesus is the center. In fact, Christians, we should be compassionate, wonderful, loving people. I don't want to spend too much on this, but I'm just going to mention we got to do um, a Shabbat dinner. And so for those of you who know, who drive around Lakewood, you know, it's a lot easier to drive on Saturdays, right? That's because it's Shabbat. And so most Jewish people who follow this, they, they, they don't use technology or something. It probably depends on how much you want to follow it. But basically, 
you spend that time with family. You, I'm not going to create. Just like God rested on the seventh day, we're going to rest. And they rest really hard. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, but anyway. So we actually got to experience, um, we got to experience a Shabbat dinner. We were invited into someone's home, and we experienced an amazing level of compassion and hospitality and love. Ask anybody that was on the trip. I think that was actually one of the most moving things that we got to experience. It wasn't even a holy site. It was just a Jewish person's home. And so it's important for us to remember, we're not the center. Don't get a chip on your shoulder. Oh, well, we have Christ. We're loving. We're compassionate. That may have been the most compassionate place I've ever been in, was in someone else's home, in a Jewish person's home, somebody who didn't know Christ. And so we want to not have that attitude. Remember that Jesus is the center, and we want to point everyone towards him. It's so freeing when you know that you're not the center. It's actually very freeing to know that you're part of something bigger that God is doing all over the world. And so I'll just, you know, a couple more pictures of some things that we did. Running where Jesus walked, it really does. It supercharges your faith. It's so incredible to walk on the ground that Jesus walked on or where someone else walked on. But I want to share this scripture with you today. And this, is, this scripture is in John chapter 20. Jesus, he's arrested. His disciples flee. He dies on the cross and he's buried. But Jesus is raised to life. And he appears to his disciples. And he changes their lives. But one of them was missing. Do you remember which disciple it was that wasn't there initially? What was his name? Do you remember his name? Um, yeah, Thomas. The disciple Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared first to his disciples. And so they're saying, hey, we've seen the Lord Jesus. He's back from the dead. And Thomas says, God, no way. I, that doesn't happen. People don't come back from the dead. I don't believe you. In fact, I won't believe unless I could put my hands in his scars I won't believe in that. Now, Jesus does something. You know, Jesus doesn't criticize him. Jesus doesn't say, what's wrong with you, Thomas? He doesn't say, well, I can't use you anymore, Thomas. I guess you're not really a Christian, Thomas. That's not what he does. Jesus actually indulges Thomas's doubts. He says, okay, why don't you put your hand on my side? He appears to them again, and he, he appears to Thomas, and, and Thomas says, I believe my Lord and my God. But then Jesus says the, this incredible sentence it's incredible for you and me today. Jesus says, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And so when you go to Israel, yes, it supercharges your faith. Yes, we're witnesses of things that God did in an incredible way. It's so amazing how it fills you with faith. But you don't have to go to Israel in order to experience God. You don't have to go to Israel to have a supercharged faith, to be filled with faith where God wants to use you in incredible ways. You don't have to go halfway across the world in order to experience God. Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You don't have to travel around the world to know the peace and the presence and the purpose and the joy that comes from knowing God. As we heard from the Lord this morning, he's already in our midst. He's already with us, and we can have a, uh, that, that supercharged faith. I, I love this, too. Peter writes this as well. Peter is best friends with Jesus. He was there when Jesus did all of his miracles and walked on water and calmed the storm. Peter himself walked on water for a minute, right? Peter 
watched Jesus die on the cross. He saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then he preached in front of thousands of people. I mean, talk about an amazing, supercharged faith. Nobody's got a faith like Peter. But look what he writes to Christian believers in his second letter. He opens the letter by saying, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. In another translation, it says, I'm writing to you who have a faith of the same kind as ours. You can have the same kind of faith as Peter. You can have a supercharged faith, whether you went to Israel or you're right here in New Jersey. The same God that worked in uh, David's life, that worked in Peter's life, that worked in Al's life. The same God wants to work in your life and you can have that supercharged faith. You can live for him as well. Another scripture from Peter, Acts chapter 5, he's talking to the council. Again, he says it. Hey, we're witnesses. We've seen these things. Just like if you went on the Israel trip, we're witnesses. We saw some of this stuff. We're witnesses of these things. But what else does he say? And so is the Holy Spirit who, got, who is given by God to those who obey him. In theological language and our systematic theology, we would like we, we say this is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Whether you've been to Israel or not, maybe you met Jesus in person two thousand years ago, or maybe you're all the way here in New Jersey. You have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You are a witness of what God has done as well. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that's incredible. That's amazing news. And so. If you've been on the trip, you have that supercharged faith. And if you haven't been on the trip, you can have a supercharged faith as well. And so here's kind of my challenge for today. What I want to challenge you with, we're talking about running where Jesus walked. It's so amazing how it fills you with faith. But no matter who you are, whether you went on the trip or not, now you get to run where Jesus didn't walk. You get to run where Jesus didn't walk. This is the call of every single Christian. If you went on that Israel trip, man, I hope that you take this to heart. You now get to run where Jesus didn't walk. If you didn't go on that Israel trip, guess what Jesus said about you? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem which is where we were. In Judea, we were there. In Samaria, actually, guys, we were there too. You may not have known it, but we were in Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. And guess what? We're there too, right now. We're there at the ends of the earth. We're everywhere else. And Jesus says, you are my witnesses. I've given you the Holy Spirit. You're a witness of what I've done in your life. And now you will be my witness. You'll tell people about me everywhere. All of us in this room, we get to run where Jesus didn't walk. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's right. I'm preaching, man. I'm filled with faith. Man, running where Jesus didn't walk. So here's what else. I want to give you three more points and we're done. This is how I feel. Supercharged faith, running where Jesus walked. Now we get to run where Jesus didn't walk. This is how I feel after going to Israel and how some of us, again, some of the testimonies I've been sharing from everybody. Man, pray like God hears you. Prayer, it's not a chore. Prayer is not a cliche. Prayer is not meant to be a last resort, right? In the movies, it's always, what else can we do? We can do nothing else but pray, right? It's dramatic, right? Yeah, but no, when you're a Christian, you pray first. You pray like God hears you because you've got a supercharged faith and you run where Jesus didn't walk. 
One of the places we got to go was the Western Wall. This is the holiest site for a Jewish person today. And um, this is, it's, it's a very large wall, and it's a very, very tiny portion of this gigantic, uh, um, what do you call it, retaining wall platform called the Temple Mount, where the temple would have been built. It was built by King Herod 2,000 years ago. But now this is as close as you can get to where God's presence used to be. So if you're Jewish and you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and set us free and cleansed us of our sin, this is actually as close as you can get to God's physical presence. So it's a really big deal. It's called the Western Wall. It was also known as the Wailing Wall, but it's the Western Wall. And our group, we got to go here, and almost everybody, you know, this is a highlight for everybody who goes to Israel, and almost everyone on our trip said, wow, I felt the presence of God here in a very special way. That We actually went twice, and the first time we went, it was during Shabbat, or it was right before Shabbat, so it was packed with Jewish people praying to God. Pray, everyone was praying, and it wasn't sad, it was very joyous, but everyone's praying. And so our group was there, and we're like, wow, I feel God's presence, I sense God's presence, it's amazing. And it was really cool for me, I, I, I want to say, as your pastor, going on the trip with you guys to, to facilitate this, it was it really meant so much to me, for, for me to be there and to see this for you guys. It really was so special. But I want to share, there was one person on our trip. I didn't actually ask their permission, so I won't say whose name it was. But one person told me, you know, I was so looking forward to the Western Wall. I mean, this was the number one thing. I couldn't wait. I was going to get God's presence. <laughs> you know, like, man, I can't wait for it. And they said they went to the wall and nothing happened. And I prayed and... I don't know, I just didn't feel any different. And so they walked away feeling kind of discouraged, disappointed. Other people are saying they felt God's presence, wow. And then they actually told me that it was on the way back to the bus. Suddenly, all of a sudden, I felt the love of God and the presence of God come over me in a really special way. Man, so God is not limited to the Western Wall. Why does it supercharge your faith? Why can you pray like God hears you? Because you don't have to go to a wall in order for God to hear you. You don't have to go to Israel or to Jerusalem in order to experience God's presence. I'm so thankful for God's presence that has already been with us today in this service during worship. It's amazing how it fills you with faith. And that's what uh, the scripture says, that when Jesus died on the cross, the, the, the curtain was torn in two. There's no longer a separation. Romans 8 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you now. You have received God's spirit, and now he's adopted you as his own children. We can call God Abba, Father, because of what Jesus has done. And so pray like God Here's you. It's not a chore. It's not a cliche. It's not a last resort. What need do you have? I love that we were able to do that this morning. What need do you have? God wants to distribute healing. He wants to move in your life. Sometimes it's not the answer we're looking for. Maybe it's not at the time we want, but you can pray like God hears you. Amen. And so uh, running where Jesus walked, we get to run where Jesus didn't walk. Pray like God hears you. The other thing is this, pursue unity. If you want to run where Jesus didn't walk, we need to pursue unity. And all of these, I'm trying to share, again, locations that we went to and why this is important. Peace and unity among Christians is a choice that we have to make. This is a takeaway from this trip. One of the places that we went to was called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So there's basically, there's two main sites where it could have been where Jesus was crucified, buried, and was resurrected. 
And so this is the, the older site, the traditional site, if you will. And we were able to visit, and, and it was powerful to go. Now, what I did is I put two pictures together, um, but this is pretty much what it looks like in there. We went to where the cross of Jesus is, is said to have stood in um, that little booth right there. That's supposed to, there's a rock, and they say that the cross was there. And so it's, it's overrun by people, but there's certainly a sense of reverence when you go. It's a lot of people there. But you may notice in the two different pictures that the iconography around it and stuff, you know, we're, we're Protestant and we're Pentecostal, so we usually, we're not as into that stuff. You know, it's a lot to look at. But you may notice that they are different from each other, and that's actually on purpose. Over the years, um, it's actually owned by different groups of Christians. You actually see lines on the floor. And so, so I don't have a picture of the floor, but there's literally a line on the floor. This belongs to the Eastern Orthodox. This belongs to the Catholics. This belongs to someone else. And these parts of the church are delineated who it belongs to. And they actually, they, over the centuries, Christians have not gotten along. The Christian community around that's around where Jesus died on the cross. That's at this location. The Christian community there, where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, they're so divided, they're so divided that somebody else actually has keys to the building. Do you know who has the key to the building to let everyone in? It's a Muslim. A Muslim has a key to the building. The place where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the Christian community that's there in that church, they're so divided that it takes a Muslim to have a key to the door to bring peace. Let that sink in for a second. You know, we can experience the love of God. We can experience the presence of God. But unity and peace among ourselves, it's still a choice we have to make continuously. Uh, You know, I want to criticize these people. I want to say, what's wrong with you? Do you even know Christ? But you know what? I'm only furthering the point if I do that. I'm a Christian too, and I'm giving them a hard time. It, you know, we have to choose unity. And I love what someone from our group said. When we visited this, I was right next to him. We, we saw this, you know, this, where the cross may have been. And he had tears in his eyes. It was Mike Santangelo. Mike, I know you're watching online, Mike. And he said to me with tears in his eyes, he goes, after you see this, everything else is insignificant. Everything else is insignificant. And that's the truth. And so we've got to choose unity. That's what, uh, that's what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. And so that's something we have to continually do. Here's the last thing so we could kind of continue with time. We're going to close with communion this morning in a few minutes. And so running where Jesus walked, right, we get to also pursue unity and point everyone to Christ. Point everyone to Christ. Jesus says in Acts uh, 1.8, you're my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere. Just like in Acts 5.32, you were witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. And so we point everyone to Christ. Everywhere you go, everything you do, it's about pointing people to Christ. You're not the center. I'm not the center. Jesus is the center. And here's uh, the last place I want to share that we went. This is a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the northern part of Israel. And this is where Peter made his confession of Christ. Jesus says, hey, who do, who do people say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so 
Uh, that's where this location took place. At the time of Jesus, this would not have been uh, a city people lived in. It was an administrative center. But there would have been, and we, we saw all of them all against that wall, that rock wall, would have been lots of temples, uh, little temples. It was a pagan place, a dark place. That cave, it's a very large cave. It went very deep. It, there was a spring that was there. And people would sacrifice. They'd make sacrifices there, and they would wait for the spring to bubble up red. It was, it was very dark what took place there. And it was here that Jesus took his disciples. And this cave, this cave, it's called the Cave of Pan. That was the god of fertility. It also was known, it became known in that area as the Gates of Hell or the Gates of Hades because maybe that's how you get to the underworld. It's this dark, demonic place. And it was at that place that Jesus said these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what's so cool is that you and I, we're the proof of Jesus' words 2,000 years later that what Jesus said is true. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're here today, the church of Jesus Christ. And um, I love Pastor Paul gave the devotional while we were there, giving you a lot of uh, uh, screen time here, Pastor Paul. And, uh, he, so he, but he did. He gave the devotional, and I loved what he said. He said, um, you know, for those of us who, who got to experience God in this way, what else does Christ want to build on your life? And that's how I want to close this morning. I want to invite Pastor Bonnie to come up front as we get ready for communion. What else does Christ want to build on your life? If you got to go on that trip, amazing. Ushers, yeah, you guys can come forward and begin. Uh, we'll begin to distribute the elements. What else does Christ want to build on your life? If you've experienced God, you've had a supercharged faith, maybe because you went there or maybe because you know the Lord or maybe you want that supercharged faith, what else does Christ want to build on your life? And so I'm going to allow you guys to distribute these as the ushers are making their way around for this time of communion. as the ushers are distributing the elements, I know we had a lot of info, a lot of content. <laughs> but it's so amazing to experience uh, where God has moved over the years. And as we, um, as we get ready to take communion together, this is a holy time. And it's a holy moment as God's presence has already moved in our service today. Paul says that we don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner. And so we want to reflect on our lives, maybe where you're at spiritually. Perhaps there's some sin in your life that you need to confess before the Lord. Maybe you haven't done that and you're here today as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper together. This is a special time and a holy time. And so we'll take a moment to reflect on ourselves, but not just on ourselves, but also to reflect on the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice.